from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 148. Today's show is brought to you by Casper, FreshBooks, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very well, Jason Snell. How are you? I'm enjoying um, patriotic holidays. That's what I'm doing. It is, uh, it is the Independence Day long weekend in the United States. It was just the 150th Canada Day in Canada. So North America is just one big festive red, white, and sometimes blue party. Jason, Frank would like to know for Hashtag Snell Talk this week, what is your favorite snack? I will refer Frank to episode 108 of the Robot or Not podcast, which was just posted last week, in which I declare my love for peanut butter in all its forms. It is my favorite food. It is absolutely my favorite snack. So peanut butter, that's it. Right out of the jar? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll do that. Right out of the jar. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've actually had a what is your favorite food question somewhere. I I think we have, because we, we, it was clear at that point that my favorite food would kill you. So, mm-hmm. you know. But it's interesting that not only is your favorite food peanut butter, your favorite snack is peanut butter. I wonder what else peanut butter fills. I wonder what other categories in your life. Peanut, favorite thing to buy of Apple Pay? Peanut butter, right? Like, the list goes on. Favorite, uh, I, I once had a... Um, Despite peanut butter being my favorite food, I went to this uh, restaurant when I was visiting family in Pennsylvania, and they they brought the dessert menu out, and it had peanut butter pie on it, which is a thing that exists, but I had literally never heard of peanut butter pie before. And I said, well, bring that to me now. And uh, it's pretty great. So peanut butter, you know, is it my favorite dessert? I don't know. I really like peanut butter frozen yogurt. If I go to a frozen yogurt place, I will get the peanut butter flavor if it, if it's there. Um, there are good ones. There are bad ones, but they're all they're all peanut butter, so they're they're all okay. Yeah, love it. I'll have it for breakfast. I'll have it for lunch. Maybe one day I'll buy some EpiPens and I'll come over to California. <sighs> Don't. And you, can, <laughs> and you can give me a, a taste of the amazing peanut butter that you like. I'm sure there's a peanut butter flavor that is entirely devoid of actual peanuts. I wonder. That, that pro- they probably make that. If anybody knows of such a thing that exists. Let me know. It won't taste like peanuts at all, but, uh, you know, maybe it exists. Some totally artificial peanut flavoring. Talking about things that shouldn't exist at all. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. The Galaxy Note 7 FE, which is actually known as the Galaxy Note 7 Fandom Edition, that is what the FE stands for, is going on sale July 7th in Korea. This is a refurbished version of the Galaxy Note 7s that were recalled. So Samsung is trying to put back into the market all of the handsets that they had to bring back. They're saying that it's featuring different components to the original. I, I don't get this. These are also, I, I just want to be clear, these are the ones that didn't explode. <laughs> these, they didn't refurbish the ones that blew up. These are the ones that didn't explode. At this point, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> you had to bring them back in And now they're selling them for fans, for the fans. The fandom. For the people who just, they wish they had that Galaxy Note 7 and they didn't get it. And now they're going to finally get it with a a battery that is apparently much less capable than the one. Because that seemed to be the source of the problem. You calling your contacts in in Korea now, Mike? Trying to get get a Galaxy Note 7 FE? 
Oh, you know me. FE stands for phones explode. <laughs> phones explode. Phones explode. I like that. Jason. Phones explode. Good. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're just months away from the Galaxy Note 8. Because like, <laughs> it debuts before the iPhone. This is such a strange thing. I mean, I, I can see, I can obviously see why they're doing this because they have a warehouse full of Galaxy Note sevens, and they're yeah. just trying to get some out there, like just just get rid of some of these. But it's like, just don't. Like I know why you're doing it, Samsung, but just just don't. This is why people look at your company and say silly things about your company. It's why you get weird headlines, right? Like these are the bad decisions. <laughs> that you make and this is just one of them i uh i look at this and think there's a manager somewhere who is looking at the cost of these things that are in the warehouse and is making a a case right making a claim saying you know we could sell these maybe in certain markets like our home market of korea and make some money out of these things because they're perfectly good with the battery, uh, with the battery replaced. And if we do that, we'll cut our losses and we'll limit it to these markets. So you know where we're impervious and maybe not put it elsewhere. But we'll sell some here and we'll make some money. And look, look at how the budget will be improved by by this. I, I imagine there's some someone made a business argument somewhere, and how yeah. I mean, I get it. Like, mm-hmm. on one level, you want to sweep it under the rug. On the other level, it's a, an opportunity for them to make some of the money back that they lost in this thing. I don't know. It, it from, a, from an optics perspective, you'd kind of want to just, like, let it be. Um, Fandom Edition, also such a weird name. I do wonder if it's, like, literally there are, the, the way this is being marketed is people who love Samsung and buy all the Galaxy Note models are really sad that they can't have a Galaxy Note in their collection. Uh, well, and also, like, people loved that phone, right? And, like, were unwilling to, to give it back to the point that Samsung had to brick the phones to make people send them in, right? right? So so this is them saying, all right, if you really want it, you can have it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's weird. You'd think that you'd want to move on, but Samsung does lots of things we don't we don't understand. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, that's... That's, uh, it's weird. It's, it's really weird. It, by all accounts, it was a good phone other than the exploding. So I, I guess I can see that, but the Galaxy Note 8 is going to come out. So yeah, it's weird. We don't understand Samsung. Last week, Bloomberg posted a big article claiming that Apple is working with Hertz, the uh, rental car company, to manage its self-driving fleet. That is the headline. Apple is working with Hertz to manage its self-driving fleet. In the article, they note that Apple is leasing a small fleet from Hertz for the small for their fleet. cars yep. and mm-hmm. compares it to the deal that Alphabet and Avis have together for working on self-driving technology. This is a collaboration between these two companies to try and work on self-driving cars. Because of this news, as you can imagine, the shares for Hertz skyrocketed. But it came out a little bit later on in the week... That there is no story here, and that Apple are literally just leasing six cars from Hertz that they are outfitting with their technology, and there is no special deal. Apple later told CNBC that they are, like, categorically, we are not partnering with Hertz. What is going on here? 
I really like this, Mike. I think that this is something that we should take up in our daily lives and just stick with me here for a moment. Like I got an Amazon package yesterday. So I'd like to announce I'm partnering with Amazon. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I've got a new relationship with Amazon that uh, is, uh, it involves branding and e-commerce. That is the incomparable incorporated six colors.com and me personally, Jason Snell. I have that deal with Amazon now. Um, so we've extended that relationship. The, the details of the relationship are kind of, I'm going to keep it under wraps, but it mostly involves me giving them money and them putting uh, cardboard boxes in front of my door. Mm. But uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So I hope my, my investors are, are excited about that. I'm also happy to announce that I have a, a relationship. Uh, I'm partnering with Comcast. Um, that relationship is they, they are providing me, they're the exclusive provider of internet access in my house, in the, I'm sorry, in the headquarters of the Incomparable Incorporated, exclusive access. Also, also we, we cut an entertainment deal on the side. They're also my entertainment provider partnership. So, uh, I think that's going to be big. I think it's going to be really big. I have some late breaking news, Jason Snow. Yes. Some late breaking yes. news. Yes. Um, the, from the straight from the market floor, that both Comcast and Amazon's shares have skyrocketed uh, upon <laughs> of the news have. of a very recent uh, and sudden and uh, strong um, partnership collaboration effort. This is ridiculous, right? This is just <laughs> I don't know what Bloomberg was doing here. Like I don't know if they heard something and misinterpreted it, or they're just totally. trying to make a story out of nothing. But it's like they wrote this entire article, which had just one sentence that was of any interest. And they spun this one sentence into this entire piece, which then created this effect. And I've got to say, this is the start of a not start. This is a this is indicative of a trend at Bloomberg right now. Um, which we have spoken about. Like we've spoken about it mm-hmm. uh, last week with the uh, talking about the Apple rumors and stuff. It does. It seems like that they have a habit right now of finding out one little thing and then making a huge big story out of it. The fact is that this happens in um, in journalism a lot, where you get a source and especially in modern web journalism, you get a source and you um, get a tidbit of info. And what you do is you write a whole story around it. And I mean, I've seen this, this ha- and this happens not even when you're doing reporting, but this is also how, uh, how reblogging goes, where I read a story the other day that was based on an interview on another website. And to their, oh, no, sorry, it was based on three different interviews on another website. And this story wove those three interviews together with background information. It was very expertly done, but contained no new information. It was literally just strip mining other people's stories and organizing it into a new way. So that that's just a, a thing that we deal with on the web these days. And the Bloomberg stories are a little bit like that, where, you know, they got a tidbit, an original reported tidbit from someone and then you build your narrative around it. And so like literally you could have a story with one piece of information, which is, you know, a guy at Apple or at Hertz or somewhere in between who says, Hey, did you know, I'm just giving you a tip here that Apple is getting into bed with Hertz. They, they, they've got a, a small fleet of cars that they have leased uh, involved and it's it's the self-driving stuff so they're making a deal apple's making a deal with hertz on this and it's uh so it's big news you should report on that 
and uh you know and it's going to be it's and, and so they've got the details it's like their lexuses their lease from uh from hertz's fleet management unit and then um and then what do you do with that story? And the answer is you write a story with a big headline that says Apple's working with Hertz. And um, and then your lead is Apple's leasing a small f- fleet. They're going to lease this model. Apple declined to comment. Um, and then you throw in like background. So it's here's what Hertz stock performance is. And here's Alphabet's deal with Avis. And that draws a a parallel um, and then you throw in a paragraph of background, which is here's what's happened with the Apple Car project in the past. And Tim Cook said, uh, you know, last month that they are working on something. And you end up with this big story. It's not that big, but it's like a six, seven paragraph story that's really based. You could really summarize in one sentence in terms of the initial information, which is Apple is leasing some cars from Hertz related to their self-driving fleet. And it's small and th- there may only be a half dozen of them. Okay. It's not much of a story then, so you build it up in the narrative. And that, that happens sometimes. We've seen it with Mark Gurman's stories, which at uh, 9 to 5 Mac were pretty no-nonsense of here's what, you know, here's what I've heard and here's the background. And since he's been to Bloomberg, one of the things that happened is you've seen more cobalt lines where he's put on with someone else. And you've seen these kind of more uh, fluffed up, expansive stories where more narrative is put into it. Um, wrapping around what the actual nuggets of information are. And that just seems to be the, the approach Bloomberg is taking to this sort of thing. And not just Bloomberg. I think a lot of um, news organizations do this sort of thing when you've got scraps and you're trying to make something out of the scraps. It's just a, just a silly story. Uh, the other thing that I think is kind of funny is that why, why aren't Apple just buying six cars? Like, why are they leasing and then like drilling holes in these cars? Like just buy the cars. It's really weird. It does seem a little weird. I wonder if there's something about like them. There's a reason why it's a better thing legally or in some other way to lease cars rather than buy them for a part of this project. I don't know, but it does seem like they could write it. It feels like an accounting thing to me, honestly. Just go go down to the Lexus dealer, (laughs) buy some cars, have them sent over. Um, Also, I will say this is an interesting example when when apple actually told cnbc that there's no special deal there like there's an apple decline to comment in the bloomberg story so what's what seems to have happened here is apple has done its reflexive we're not talking about this we're just going to keep everything quiet and then they saw this story take off and they saw hertz shares go up and somebody at apple saw all of this and said no, 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 no. <laughs> we got to get out there. Now, I would like, I'm going to say that Apple PR should maybe look at this as an example of how you don't, your old classic decades long policy of reflexively declining to comment or occasionally saying you'll get back to somebody and then never doing it. This is a good example why maybe that's not a great standard policy. Maybe you should process these requests a little bit more, knowing that Bloomberg is going to write a big story about your connections to Hertz, which maybe as a PR person you don't know anything about. Maybe do a little research and find out what's going on there and give a, give an actual reply to Bloomberg that says, no, 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 
it's this is overstated. We we have rented, you know, we've leased six cars for this project that we're working on. It's not a big deal. At, at which point Bloomberg actually might not run the story, <laughs> right? But instead, they're just like, no, we have nothing to say. Bloomberg runs the story. Hertz stock goes up. And then somebody at Apple decides to put their foot down and and tell CNBC that it's uh, overblown. It's weird. Like, you know, they could have... They, in other words, Apple could have nipped this story in the bud because really, if Apple had come back to these writers and said, no, this, you, got it, you got it wrong. This is not... We're not, we're not no commenting you here, guys. Like literally you got it wrong. There are a half. If you think that a half dozen cars that we're leasing, like six cars is, uh, is newsworthy, then go to town. But it's just part of our everyday, you know, operations when we're working on projects. And then they could run that story if they wanted to, but it certainly would have been a lot less interesting. Um, then again, I'll, I'll take it from the reporter side. You kind of don't want Apple to get back to you, right? Because they might pop your balloon (laughs) so you almost want them to decline comment and then or if they don't get back to you right away be like oh they didn't respond which is what hertz did hertz just didn't respond in time for them to post the article it's like well that's good because then they have an article otherwise they don't have an article i don't know it's just weird that that apple declined comment and then felt the need later to burst the bubble I wonder what decline to comment means. Like, if it means that they were like, we're not talking about this, or they just didn't bother to reply because it was a stupid thing. No, d- decline to comment means that they said um, that no. that they that they said they said they didn't have any statement about it. So what would they say? Like, Apple didn't reply to requests or whatever? Well, here's the sentence in the story. An Apple spokesman declined to comment, while a rep- representative for Hertz didn't immediately respond to a request for comment, and that's the difference immediately <laughs> you have 20 seconds yeah my guess is they called hertz and said so we got this story uh, you got any comment and and they're like let me get back to you and 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 you wait and i i will say yes maybe you wait a minute and then you post the article yeah, but I, I will say i have written articles where i've really wanted an apple comment and i called apple and said i got this article i would like a comment and they've said instead of we don't have a comment on that they've said you know, I get I get what you're saying. Let me go get let me talk to some people and I will get you a comment. And I've held the story in one case we held it for a couple of days. They never responded. And at some point as a journalist at some point you got to be like I'm not just going to wait around cuz I definitely have felt played in the past by sources where they're just trying to put you off the story and they're never going to get back to you. Yeah, and you don't want to sit on it for too long cuz then somebody else is going right. to post it. Exactly. And and it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm get, doing you a courtesy by trying to get an answer, letting you go on the record about what I'm writing about, but I'm not going to let you delay my story for three days. So get back to me in a reasonable amount of time. So that that could be the case here, or it could literally be. They said, because they said immediate, I wonder, Bloomberg must have a policy of what immediate means. Like if it's if it's less than a day, or if it's less than six hours, or if it's less than an hour, I don't know what the policy is. But it wouldn't surprise me if they actually have a policy about what makes it an immediate didn't immediately respond because you could see how a source might get frustrated if they respond in an hour and it doesn't matter because they you know hey could you help me out i need you to clarify this thing about your car leases okay well i'm gonna have to talk to people who i'm not even sure who knows about this but i will try to get back to you as soon as i can and then you turn around and you start finding that person in your organization and oh meanwhile bloomberg already posted the story like i can understand how that would be really frustrating if you're the person trying to get the comment and they just are going through the motions but we don't know what the what the background new, news gathering 
happening here is. But in the end, it ends up being the story that boosts the stock. The story has been updated to reflect the boosting of the stock, which I think is interesting. Um, and then, but not updated with the statement that they gave to to CNBC. Yeah, I noticed I know. that too. Like, why didn't they put the Apple comment back in? Because the answer to the story has been given. Like, yeah, it was given to CNBC, but like, just linked to CNBC now. I think I think if you asked the editors at Bloomberg, what they'd say is their story is not factually inaccurate. They say it's a small fleet. They say it's testing self-driving technology. Of course. Um, their, their suggestion in the lead that it echoes a larger deal is the problem, right? Because that is providing a linkage to the Alphabet and Avis well, deal. Uh, they actually, and they, the fact that they're in the, in the copy, they, like in the story, they literally call out that deal. Right? Yes. Like, they refer to it. Right. And it's like, oh, no, we're just And Apple said it. no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, we're, just, we're just bringing it up. But like, no, you bring it up because then it makes it look like it's a bigger thing, I guess. Anyway, yeah. this isn't much of a story other than it's, I think it is a, just an interesting indication about where a lot of these stories live now, like the kind of the world that they're operating in with like any piece of information and you'll post it and it becomes a big deal, big enough that it literally affects the the value of another company. Mike, this just in, I, uh, I, I'm i happy to report that I now have a strategic relationship with the peanut butter producers of America. Oh, congratulations. Um, that must they, mean they, a lot to you. It does mean a lot to me. Um, I'm going to be purchasing peanut butter, American-made peanut butter, and uh, eating it. So that's a strategic partnership where they make peanut butter, and that's their strategy, and I buy it and eat it, and that's my strategy. So I, I think this is going to be great news for the peanut butter industry. I just had the peanut butter industry get in contact with me, Jason, to say that this is merely just a one uh, tub a month deal. Uh, it's well, not. It's I, not a str- like a big, big I partnership. Think, Mike, I think what you'll find is that it parallels your deal with the ice cream producers of the UK. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure it mirrors. Sure it, it echoes. Well, it echoes that deal. It's not quite the same, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it echoes it. I think you'll find. Now, this is now a real sponsorship message, and it is. <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk about our friends at Casper. Casper is the company focused on sleep. that have They have perfected a premium mattress. They have made the mattress that you want, and they sell it online for a fraction of what it would cost in a store. Casper's award-winning mattress was developed by them in-house. It has a sleek design, and it's delivered in an impossibly small box. Their San Francisco research and development team have created a proprietary foam that relieves pressure and increases airflow. They combine it with a springy comfort layer to contour to your body and keep you cool. This means that the Casper mattress has just the right sink and just the right bounce. As well as mattresses, they also now offer an adaptive pillow and soft breathable sheets as well. Casper's mattresses are obsessively engineered at a shockingly fair price. This is why they have over 30,000 online reviews with an average of 4.8 stars. That is high. Obviously, this is out of five, right? 4.8 out of five stars of 30,000 online reviews. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices. They're designed and developed in America. They have cut the hassle and costs of dealing with showrooms, and they are passing those savings directly to you, the consumer. Now, Jason, you've been away traveling, and you've come home I can only imagine the elation when you came back to your Casper mattress. 
I am always happy to return to my Casper mattress because it it is uh it's so comfortable. A couple years now, it's not it still still works great. Still going it's not strong. wearing out. Still going strong, absolutely. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free and super easy to do as well. They offer free delivery and free returns to the US, Canada, and the UK. With Casper, you get to sleep on their mattress before you make your decision. You can try it out for 100 nights and decide if it's right for you. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. You can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash upgrade and using the code upgrade at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of this show. So, Jason, I saw an article that you wrote on Macworld uh, when you're extolling the virtues of the keyboard on the 10.5-inch iPad Pro. Yes. I did write that article. I'm glad you found it. I'm glad you I'm read it. I'm always looking. I'm always looking. I'm like, what's Jason up to now? I have tabs on it. <laughs> the 10.5, look, it's, it's, I mean, I did the measurements. It's, it's a few millimeters wider. It's like, it's not that much wider than the 9.7 was, but... For making a a full size keyboard by the sort of the way the definition Apple has chosen, um, it is wider enough that there's that much. If you think about it, the the wider the the um, iPad is, the wider the smart cover is, because the smart cover is the exact dimensions of the screen of the iPad and of the whole the whole thing, screen plus bezel. And they've redesigned the smart cover a little bit, or the smart keyboard, I guess, not smart cover, smart keyboard, the, the keyboard that lives inside a cover. And it means that those letter keys are now what they would call full size. There's actually an ISO standard, which is um, basically 17 to 19 millimeters between the centers of the keycaps is what's considered a full size keyboard. And these are 17 millimeters. They are the smallest keycaps you can have and call it full size but they are and they actually shrunk some other keys to do that um, and the result is that yeah i think typing on the 10.5 is even better than typing on the 9.7 was and i liked the 9.7 smart keyboard and the 10.5 smart keyboard um is 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 that much better plus you get the wider screen right so these the on-screen keyboard is also better because it's bigger they just scaled it up it's it's literally just stretched wider um, I checked. <laughs> I checked. It's not, they didn't reformat, it seems, anything, um, at least so far, unless they change it in iOS 11 at some point. Um, it's just every keycap is a little bit wider, which means, again, it's not quite the size of the 12.9, which has the full-size keyboard on screen with a number row at the top, but um, it's way better. Um, and so that's one of those things. It's like we've talked about the screen being better on the 10.5 than the 9.7, and that's true. But don't miss the other part of it, which is the that the that the keyboard is better. And on iOS 11, you also get that flick keyboard, which is even better once you get used to it, because then you've got quick access to the secondary keys, secondary symbols, without having to toggle into another mode. So they're you know typing the typing story on the 10.5, I think, is way better than the 9.7. And not to say the 9.7 is bad, but like if you're looking, if you're a 9.7 iPad Pro user and you're looking to upgrade and find a reason to upgrade to the 10.5. I would say typing is a thing to keep in mind. Now, it's true you have to buy all your accessories again because you can't really, you shouldn't really use uh, the smart keyboard from one on the other. And the whole point is that you want the bigger keys. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's pretty good. I don't know. Do you do you have you have all of this right? You have a mm-hmm. smart keyboard on a ten point mm-hmm. five. Have you found it to be? 
it feels more comfortable. I mean, I, I noticed it almost immediately just by looking at it, which is kind of weird. Like the first time that I saw one of the keyboards, I couldn't, when I looked at the iPad, I couldn't tell that the iPad was physically bigger. But as soon as I saw the keyboard, I was like, that's bigger. I don't know why, but it was just something in my brain where I was like, yep, I know that. And yeah. I've been happy with it. I, I will say last week I was do- I was working out of the house for a day or two. Um, and I was kind of like around London and just like finding different places that I needed to go. And in between meetings and stuff, I was just going to coffee shops and just setting up. And I was using the 10.5 for it. And that is such a great, my God, it's such a great iPad to work on. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, as we said before, it doesn't have all of the benefits of the 12.9, but that kind of middle ground of the, the full-size keyboard, the 10.5-inch screen, you know, which is bigger, so it's nicer just because everything's bigger because the screen's bigger. Yeah. Um, so you get, you know, you can you can kind of, whilst you don't get the the ability to, you know, have the full-sized applications side-by-side, side, you can, like, zoom out on them more and stuff like that. Like, I'm able to zoom out more on spreadsheets and things like that because I have more physical space to deal with. And I have been really, really impressed with it. Like, everything is more comfortable. The keyboard is great. The screen's fantastic. Like, that is a absolutely fantastic iPad. Like, it, it yeah, is... Yeah, I agree. It is even more like a, an iPad that I'm even more happy to use when traveling. So like I'm I'm going to be traveling a lot over the summer and I've been deliberating and, or was deliberating, right? Do I take the 12.9 or the 10.5? I wasn't sure. And whilst I still haven't come to my complete decision, it isn't a case now of like, oh, the screen's too small. That's not going to be the reason. So right. like, I'm I'm really, really impressed with the 10.5. And I've been using it just more and more at home and, and stuff like that. It really is just an absolutely fantastic iPad. I've been trying to travel with both of them. So I, I'm um, I'm taking a couple of short trips and uh, to, over the last couple of weeks. And because um, I want to try both of them out. And yeah, I'm still trying to write my kind of final statement about the about the iPad Pro because I haven't gotten to that because there's been so much else going on. But um, I I agree with you. I think the 10.5 is excellent as a 12 uh, as a 12.9 user. I I love the 12.9. I really do. It is huge, but I love it. And iOS 11 on it, which we can talk about a little bit more, it makes it that much better. The the apps are big. It's great. When I use the 10.5, I still feel like you know, wow, this is this is small. There's less room for everything than I'm used to on the 12.9, but it's better than the 9.5 or the 9.8, right? It's a better, it's better, it's bigger without feeling bigger or heavier, really. And I, I think I've reached the same conclusion you have, which is I would probably enjoy my experience more on the 12.9 just because I do love that big screen. But could I travel without any hesitation about like, well, I really need to be the 12.9 because with this 10.5, it's like, yeah, I would, I would travel. It does. It's the same processor. You know, it does the, it does everything that the 12.9 does. The screen's just a little bit smaller and it's lighter. And, and yeah, I could, I could do what I do on the 12.9 just fine on the 10.5. It wouldn't be, it would feel a little more cramped and I might have to do a little more kind of moving things around on screen than I have to do on the 12.9. But it's, it's an incredibly capable device to the point where I would say like, if there's like a pie chart 
of appropriate users for the 12.9 and the and the 9.7 and now we update that pie chart for appropriate users for the 12.9 and the 10.5 i feel like the the already majority of the pie chart that was the 9.7 gets a little bit bigger because i feel like this this will push a few more people over to saying you know i don't need the bigger ipad and that's that's fine. I still mm-hmm. love that twelve point nine, and I'm glad it Me exists. Too. I would have been very sad if it had been eliminated. But yeah, that I think the ten point five is appreciably better than the nine point seven in a bunch of different ways um, that make it a more usable um, usable device. I am very sad, as you are, that Logitech has so far at least chosen not to make a create keyboard for it. And chose to make a terrible keyboard. It's not just so much that they didn't make a create. They they made a decision instead to make one of the worst keyboards I've ever used, which is the... Uh, the, the not that you're bitter. Not that I'm bitter at all. Uh, what is it called? The Slim something or other? Oh, yeah. It's so bad. It, it just, I, I hate it. I really, I really, right. really hate it. Slim Combo. That's it. The Slim Combo. We, we like the 9.7 create. And so where's the 10.5? There's a larger issue that I'm going to write about at some point, which is, again, what is the deal with the smart keyboard? Like, or the, or the smart connector? Just like so few products with the smart connector. Obviously, it's got some issues. Um, but I like the idea of creating keyboards for the iPad. And maybe it's just the size of the market. Maybe people are concerned that they can't make enough money on a on an iPad keyboard that only works on the iPad Pro, one model of the iPad Pro. But um, that 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 Create keyboard was really good for the 9.7. It would be, you, you know, you use it all the time. Imagine that, but a little bit bigger on the 10.5. Not the giant shell, the MacBook Air shell, that's the 12.9 Create keyboard, but the 9.7, so good, a 10.5 would be that much better. And for whatever reason, Logitech seems to just not... Again, they might be working on it and there's something going on and they can't announce it. But um, the lack of any comment about it makes me con- concerned that it's just not going to happen. And it's too bad. Not to say that the smart keyboard isn't good. Like, the smart keyboard is good. And you can, you can use it in... Um, all sorts of circumstances, it's a good keyboard. But the Create keyboard was, for people who really want to use a keyboard, was that much better. Mm-hmm. The thing that annoyed yeah. me is like they made a product called the Slim Folio for the iPad, the current standard 329 iPad, which is the Create without the, the loop. <laughs> with Bluetooth. With, with Bluetooth. But they didn't yeah. make a version of the Create or haven't made a version of the Create for the new iPads. But, I don't know, whatever. Come on, Logitech. Or, or like, anybody, really. Like, why is it just Logitech? They're not. It's not called the Logitech Smart Connector, right? Like, no. come on. What's going on here? Someone needs to do some digging on this to find out what is happening with the Smart Connector. I, I agree. Um, yeah, and if there's anybody out there, we don't do this often, but I'll say if there's anybody out there who knows what the deal is with the smart connector and why accessory vendors are kind of hesitant to do it if they're technical issues or if it's literally just like the market's not big enough you would think that that uh there would be some sort of market here but maybe not i don't know um i would love to hear about it and i know mike would love to hear about it because where are they like where the, the the ipad pro is apple i'll put it this way apple is providing an opening here 
Apple has not yet made a more traditional laptop style keyboard for the iPad Pro, right? Apple has declined to do that. And I'm a little bit baffled by that. I know the smart keyboard is their thing and it's where the, it's their first product to do this at all. And um, maybe this is, they think this is enough or maybe they, they have to start somewhere, but like there are opportunities to get in on the ground with this iPad Pro and say, we've got a better solution than Apple for you who, people who are doing your work and your those Fortune 500 companies that are embracing the iPad. And like, we can get you something that's that's more, a little more keyboard than what you'll get with a smart keyboard. And uh, yet, there are very few that do that. It's a little bit, uh, it's disappointing, I'll say that. So let's talk about iOS 11. I have been holding off installing iOS 11 onto my iPads um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, you know, they, people say don't don't put betas on your work devices. Well, these are my primary work devices, both of my iPads, right? The 10.5, the 12.9. That is where if I'm not recording and editing a podcast, all of the other work that comes with running my business is done from those machines. So I've been a bit hesitant. This hesitance came from the fact that beta one bricked both of my iPads and I had to restore them. Um, but then the the temptation got to me and I installed uh, the developer beta 2 on my 12.9-inch iPad this morning. This was mostly because this was in our document today <laughs> and I woke up to a message from Jason, two messages, I think something to the effect of like, come on, just install it now. Do it. <laughs> Do it. So at that point, Jason pushed me over the edge and I installed Beta 2 this morning and it went fine. And, and I can tell uh, there is a massive difference between Beta 1 and Beta 2 and just general reliability. Um, sure. I was having a lot of problems with Beta 1, just like everything was like shaking around all over the place. Like it was not good. Uh, and Beta 2 is way better. Which I think is the the public beta. I think the second developer beta is basically the public beta. So that's the one that anybody can sign up for. Yep. And you've been, but you've been running the betas since WWDC, right? Yeah, I would say yeah. So I installed it on a secondary iPad um, at when it, when developer beta one came out. But when I got the new iPads, it. I didn't wait too long before I installed. So I got I got a 12.9 and the 10.5. And so I, I installed the beta on the 12.9 almost right away, figuring that it was based on a backup of of my personal 12.9. And this is a this is the one I bought I got for the review. Um, and so if there was a problem, I would just pick up the real 12.9 and use that my previous one. Um, but I, uh, I, I then went after a few days. I went and installed it on the on the ten five because <laughs> really, it is night and day. Like again, if you absolutely have to rely on everything working right on your iPad, you shouldn't install a beta, especially an early beta, because things will be things are broken. There are things that I try to do. Like I have it where occasionally Command Tab just stops working, mm-hmm. or. Um, if you use the four-finger gesture to move between apps in beta 2, I have apps that just freeze when you try to do that. 
that you switches to the other app and then they freeze and you've got to kind of go to the lock screen and unlock it and then wait for it to quit before you can move on with your life. And there's stuff like if in Tweetbot, for example, if you paste the link into the compose box, it immediately crashes every single time. Yeah. Um, by the way, there is a workaround for this. Uh, if you paste the link before you write any other text, uh, it won't crash. Just, just a quick FYI for anyone. In Twitterific, there's a weird bug where when you paste a link in at the end of a tweet, it shows it pasted into the beginning of the tweet, <laughs> and then it moves to the right place. It's super weird. Yeah, I think that I think there's something to do with the drag and drop stuff yeah. is messing around with copy paste. Yeah, and then um, another one that gets me, and this is actually a workflow issue that I did have to deal with, which is literally because um, I have these workflows in Workflow that resize photos and upload them to my server for six colors and using Transmit, the FTP app, and they don't work. It gets to the Transmit step and just stops. And so I let Panic know and I let Workflow know. (laughs) Um, and it's fine because it's a beta. Like I'm not going to get mad at anybody about it other than myself. Maybe it's like, that's what, that's what happens. But this is what I'm saying is you got to pay right now. If you want, if you want to get the benefits of the multitasking stuff now, you got to pay now. Now for us, we talk about this stuff. I think it's worth taking that as part of our jobs, taking that, that risk a little bit. I have found that there, you can work with them and it's not, these, these bugs are not horrible that there you can, you can deal with them. And the trade-off I get is that I get to experience and think about and write about the, these features. And maybe even um, Dan and I were talking about this the other day on the six colors podcast, um, maybe even influence it a little bit because I've seen like um, Matthew Panzerino had a really nice Twitter thread that, um, you know, I hope he filed some radars too, but he had a really nice Twitter thread about some of the the UI things that are in these early betas of iOS 11 that just seem like misguided or wrong. And now is the time for those of us who, who use this stuff a lot to write articles and post tweets and file radars uh, and, and say, don't let this ship to stuff that isn't quite right. Because there's definitely stuff in there that uh, that is new interface stuff that doesn't work right. That, like, you shouldn't do it this way. And some of that stuff, it may be stuff we get used to and we deal with it and we move on. But some of it feels like it's just misguided. And the more people who say, why is it like this? The more somebody inside Apple has ammunition to say, see, I told you we shouldn't do it this way. And maybe change it. So what are some of the things for you right now that are sticking out good and bad? Well, on the on the good, and I haven't even put it on my iPhone because I don't see the point uh, because really I installed it for the iPad stuff. Um, and I, I want to, you know, I, I'm looking forward to using drag and drop, but drag and drop right now is kind of until there are betas of third party apps I use that support drag and drop more explicitly right now, it's really hit and miss. So I, I kind of don't bother a lot of the time. Um, so for me, it is the multitasking stuff, primarily the fact that I can have uh, two windows open in split view and a slide over window running and the slide over window can be left or right. The fact that I can have those two windows live together so that I can have Twitter and Slack open side by side in one and my text editor and Safari open in another and I can command tab between them 
that's great that that's that moment where i'm like oh yeah and the, the command tab is fast it basically just does a, a dissolve a really fast dissolve and you've gone from your these two apps to these other two apps and they, they get to sit there in the configuration you set them in because remember in ios 10 you can only have one sort of secondary app that you set and if you switch command tab to a different app the the left app changes but the right app just stays there and in iOS 11, that concept is gone, which is great. Which is not to say that it couldn't be better, but it's so much better than what was uh, what was there before. So for me, that's the that's the number one. That's an interesting thing to point out because I know for a lot of people, um, that change has been a problem. And and I thought that it was going to be a problem for me, right? Because I would do so much work where I would have I would basically be using three applications. And the way that I would do it is so like I'll give the, the the biggest one for me is when I'm preparing for shows. I would have Google Docs on the right hand side. So it's in the non-moving side. And then on the left hand side, I would have notes. And what would happen is I would be going through my notes document where I've been saving links and stuff throughout the week. I would tap on a link. It would switch out to Safari. I would read the articles that I need to read, copy and paste the things that I need, and then just command tab. And that command tab would swap me, swap me right back to notes again. And this is just a, a, a just something that I've really gotten to to use. And that is the way that I work, right? And I do it for like when we're sending out invoices and stuff. Then I'll have like a web browser. I have two web browsers. Don't ask. And uh, Google Sheets. And would like I'll be swapping between Safari and Google Sheets with Chrome on the right hand side. Like what? Great, right? That's how I would do it. And. I've realized quite quickly, ah, can't do that anymore, right? Like that doesn't work. If you right. command tab, it takes you to a complete full screen app or another pair or something like that. But the way that I was doing it this morning, because I prepared for this show using iOS 11, I waited until I'd updated before I did it so I could try and work it out. It's just a case of changing things around. So one thing that I was, so the way I was doing it this morning is I would have a Google Docs and a web browser open. So I'd have Google Docs and Safari open. And then I would have notes in that little slide over app. Uh-huh. So I would just slide it over, click the link. It would open in Safari, slide it away again. And then I can use the two and bring it back when I need it. So it's just a case for me of adapting to the new method. And while it feels weird right now, it's because I've had two years of muscle memory yeah. to build these workflows that I currently have, like the way that I'm currently working on my iPad, it's been that way forever, but it doesn't mean that that was better. Like, for example, I spent, I'm not kidding, 45 seconds yesterday trying to find an app in the current split view picker on iOS 10. So I was just swiping <laughs> no. through the list. I was like, I know it's here somewhere, and I'm doing it the whole time. And then I realized, ah, if I was on iOS 11, I would just swipe up from the dock and just drag it up. And just for an hour today of doing this, I'm like, oh, this is really like, I'm like zipping around the system, right? Like yeah. I, I just, you just got to lock into it, but it's like, okay, so I can just bring up this app and then I can swap it around with this one. And then I can search for this app and it brings open a full screen. And then I just bring up the dock and just drag another app in. And like I was doing something earlier, I was watching a YouTube video in the YouTube app, right? And then um, I needed to respond to a message and I needed to copy something out of an email. So I brought up the two applications, did that, right? Did the work that I needed, swiped up from the dock. And then the recent thing was the YouTube app. I just pressed it and it pulled the YouTube video back again. And I'm like, iOS 11, me and you are going to be real good friends. Yeah, I, you talk about the muscle memory. I think that's one of the challenges 
when you're using a beta is, uh, and you're evaluating it and you're writing or talking about it, is trying to keep in mind that everything is different. And different doesn't necessarily mean bad. Because the danger is that everything you see that's different, you go, oh, this is bad. They should go back to the way it was. And then you complain about it or you file a bug or whatever. And that's one of the tricks I've found is like, you got to really think about it. Like, do I react to this because it's different or because there are reasons why it doesn't work for me? And that that's just a challenge. So when, you know, some of the stuff that, that, um, that comes up in a new system, I end up embracing and being like, oh yeah, okay, I see why they did it. I just need to live with it for a while. And other things, if you go through that process and try to say, now why am I reacting this way to this? What was I doing before? Is there another way to do this now? Or is this a mistake? Um, Because it's just so easy to just have that knee-jerk reaction of, oh, it's different. I don't like it. Make it back to the way it was. And sometimes changes can be bad, but sometimes it's just change and you're reacting to it. So um, I will give you an example of something that um, somebody came... Oh, was it Federico? Somebody mentioned, uh, maybe it was Steve Trout and Smith, but it was, a, it was a really good point, which is, uh, to your old workflow, one thing you can't do is pair two apps together and then pair another app with one of those previous apps. Mm-hmm. Like, they only have one buddy. <laughs> and I get why that would be a, a thing that you would do. Uh, if you're Apple, because it sort of simplifies the whole process not to have like different instances of the app displaying in the app switcher and all of that. But I can see how in different workflows, you might want to have the same app recur. Like I want this app in Safari, but I also want this app in Safari. And in iOS 11, at least so far, that's not something you're allowed to do. And that's uh, I, and slide over might be a workaround there, but I could see like the argument that, that, that that's, that's a case where is there a workaround like slide over and is that enough or is this something that really it should be able to do it? But I also feel a little bit ungrateful even talking about it. Cause it's like, it's so much better than it was. Yeah. yeah and, and like I said, it could be better. There are some things that I, I don't entirely endorse, but it's so much better than it was. So, yeah, that's that's the challenge. The multitasking. I mean, I got to say, I think they, I think they kind of nailed it. Um, searching is another thing, right? We, we, in a multitasking context, you you still can't like search for an app and then drop it in. Mm-hmm. You have it has to be in the dock or in the recents part well, of the dock. You can search for Spotlight, like you know, and then and then then pull it in. And then so for someone like me as a keyboard user, right? Like I'm a persistent keyboard user with my iPad. That works right. fine because I can spotlight search and then drag and drop from the spotlight results. But I know that it's not as easy to do this if you don't have a keyboard all the time. Right. But that works. Yeah. Great I mean, me. and and I imagine that's that's a thing. Making that more searchable, I, I imagine, is something that is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I, I was finding that I wanted the command tab switcher to allow me to just touch on one of them and say, drag it over here. And it's like, nope, that, nope, (laughs) (laughs) not allowed. That'd be nice. I I tried to do that too, where I was like, oh, why do I need to, I just need to bring it in. Let me just drag it straight out. Yeah. I, you know, you you touched on something there that I do feel is like, I feel like, I feel like I can't criticize. I'm scared they're going to take it away from me. Right? Like, they're like, <laughs> you asked for this. Don't, <laughs> don't start saying we're doing it wrong now because we'll take it away. Multitasking has been removed in public beta too. You ungrateful people. How dare you? 
There is one thing, though, Jason, where I completely agree with you, right? That sometimes they don't just say something's bad or worse. Get used to it first and then see how you feel. I agree with that. However, the notification center is a disaster right now. There are a ton of different things that are wrong with it. Now, the idea of merging the lock screen and notification center, I know why that's problematic and and some people don't like it, right? Because it's like, what is the locked state or whatever? But from a functional perspective, that doesn't bother me too much, right? Like, whatever, right? Like, I've just got the time there now instead. I mean, admittedly, I'm not using this on an iPhone. I don't know how it is on an iPhone, if it's different in any way or if it's trickier or more confusing. But it's like, okay, whatever. My problem is, so I'm coming at this from the iPad. One, you have just a single column, which is such a waste of space on this huge screen that you've given me. Especially now you have reverted to a single column widget layout where we had a dual column widget layout before. But the biggest problem is just the way you interact with notifications is a nightmare. So currently, even on the iPad, you have to do like a mock 3D touch to do any interaction at all with notifications. Where in the past, you used to be able to swipe them and perform some quick actions, which is way quicker because on the iPad, you're waiting for an animation. Because on the iPhone, you are instigating the 3D touch, so you can make that happen immediately. But on the iPad, you have to like press and hold and wait it's for a tap it to and hold, open. Yeah. Because there's a lot of tap and hold now. Exactly. I mean, and tap and hold for the drag and drop, like I'm fine with. But for no- for the notifications, it's not great. And also, like I can't find a way to. You can't just tap on the notification and, and it opens the app anymore. Like the, all the notification stuff seems like a bit of a nightmare to me right now. And and I that is the one area. That well, one, I'm seeing a lot of people who are using the public betas now start to complain about this. I'm, I'm hoping that this is a thing that will get refined as we go through because right now it's it is a bit of a mess. I think. Right, we don't know. Like one of the other things that's tricky when you talk about betas is we can talk about them like it's a done deal, but we actually don't know whether yeah they just they literally may have not gotten to it yet like we're making some changes to the notification stuff it's not finished right like you yeah, know or they or they 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 said well let's try this and see what the reaction is right mm-hmm. because they know that they have a public beta process now so let's try it and see what the reaction is oh wow people really hated that let's go back because we've seen that right we've seen that in previous betas yep. where they made changes and everybody screamed and they went back even sometimes things that we kind of like the changes but other people are like oh no i can't believe it. and they're like all right we're, we're going to turn that off yeah so i have faith that if there's something here that like categorically people are not happy with and people are raising feedback and stuff like that that it, that they will change it because they're not silly and we've seen it happen before but like i just saying like if there was one thing that i don't like it's that right like that that's yeah. kind of the thing that, that i'm not too keen on i feel like it's not fully baked i agree with you there um i was going to point out uh, i actually don't like control center on the ipad I think that the, I think again. I think it needs to be refined. I like it a lot. What do you not like about it? I don't love. Um, I understand that they kind of wanted to have a single gesture for the multitasking and control center. So you've got this and the dock, right? So you've got the you got to take the big swipe up. Um, but there are a few things. So like, I needed to airplay a video last weekend. And for the life of me, I couldn't figure out how to do it because there was no AirPlay command visible in the video player, in the app. And I ended up figuring it out with help. 
But what I had to do was I had to swipe up to control center. I had to tap and hold on the now playing icon. Oh, yeah, that's wrong. At that's which point yeah. it expanded to show the because because the screen mirroring is visible on control center. But that's not what but, you wanted to do. But I wanted to airplay a video yeah. and not yeah. mirror my screen. And I had to tap and hold on now playing to bring up the airplane submenu, which then I could tap on and choose an Apple mm. TV. And then, so I'm out of the app. I'm in control center. I'm in a modal pop-up in control center. In, and then I bring up another modal. Uh, I guess it changes the modal pop-up to be a list view. And then you pick where you want to play. And then it plays. And um, that's wrong for a few ways. First is, is we want to play, we want to play video. And it's very much like a music interface that's happening here. So that, that was not good. Um, I don't like the fact that I can't tap and hold on um on the bluetooth and the wi-fi and get a picker to pick a new thing i have to go to the settings app i feel like that should that should be uh that should be covered i think you should be able to add and remove items from control center by tapping and holding and having them jiggle and move them around on the screen or remove them like yeah i'd like to be able to move stuff too it's editable from a list in the settings app, which just seems completely wrong to me. Um, and again, it's a new feature. Maybe it's on their list and they just couldn't make it happen. Uh, that's frustrating to me. And then my number one complaint actually is about the brightness control. Because, so I'm sitting in bed and it's uh, it's morning or night. I'm reading something on my iPad and it's, you know, it's te- black text on a white background. It's really bright. And I decide uh, I need to make this screen a little bit darker so that this white text on a or black text on a white background is not as harsh in my eyes. In iOS 10, you flip up control center and you grab the brightness slider, right? Mm-hmm. And the control center is only on the bottom part of the screen. As you slide the brightness slider, what happens? It actually drops out the opacity on the app behind you so that you can see the actual effect oh, of the brightness change yeah. on the app you're using uh-huh. and get it to like, there, there, I'm comfortable with that. Well, in iOS 11, it takes your app, throws it into a thumbnail, and then you slide a little slider, which means you can't see the context, not really, of brightness. So then now you're guessing, like, well, is that enough? Tap on the app. Nope, it's still too bright. Bring it back up, make it down a little bit. Oh, that's a little too dark. Tap it again, bring it a little bit up. It's just, it's a mistake. Like, it's bad, it's bad user experience. Uh, I want to adjust. They had it right before. I want to adjust the brightness in context of what I'm viewing mm-hmm. so that I can see whether it's too bright or too dark. And with this approach, you can't do that. You just have to guess. And, uh, you know, again, I'll get used to it, I suppose, but I, that's one where I can tell now, like, that is not the right effect that is that is you are losing usability by doing that so so what i'm saying is control center uh it there are a lot of things i like about it but that is not i've got some i got some complaints yeah i can agree with you that that there are definitely some issues especially the brightness one because i do the same but on the whole i i really prefer the control center layout and design because even you know the thing with the brightness thing what I'm 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 willing to make the trade off based on the fact that now I can swipe it up and brightness is always in the same place where I expect it to be. Like I agree. That has annoyed me every day for a year. And I, I, I think I would prefer to just like 
uh, maybe you have to do a little bit more fiddling or eventually just work out what the brightness will be, right? Like there will always be like in the morning or at night, there's going to be a level that I'm going to like and I'll be able to tell visually, right? Like on the, the little slider, maybe. But the, the, the fact of me knowing where everything's going to be, um, I'm way happy with that. And also, I may be in the minority here, but I think it looks really cool. I like the way it looks. Um, and, and so, and I also a big fan of the additional functions. It's been really fun, right? Like to watch people sharing things about the beta because everyone's just using screen recording. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's absolutely. been really fun to see that. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. Like this is a, this is a great step. So this is just the beginning of our iOS 11 thoughts, I guess. Um, there yeah. is a lot to like, there is a lot to, to, to clearly that needs some refinement and, Honestly, we're so early in the process right now. I believe a lot of it will be refined, and uh, yeah. But overall, like I am very, very, very positive about iOS 11, and I'm really excited to see what happens come September, October, as all of the applications that I use are are updated oh, yeah. and enhanced. Right, like drag and drop. I am. Ex- I'm excited yeah. that Test Flight, which is the which is the source of uh, that's how you get beta versions of apps. Like Apple has already apparently turned on the spigot where mm-hmm. apps built for iOS 11 can be put in Test Flight, which it used to be um, that that took a while. Like that was late in the game, and so we would have these summer experiences with iOS 11, but it was iOS 11 from Apple, and then all of our apps were iOS 10 apps. And this summer, I have hope that for the apps that. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to be using betas of apps, you've talked to the developer, you've gotten on their test flight list. And I would say that if you are somebody who makes the move to iOS 11 and has an app that you love on iOS 11, that whether it works properly or not, if you love it and you use it and you know you're going to use it a lot under iOS 11 this summer, send an email to the developer and offer and say, hey, I'm using iOS 11 and I love your app. I don't know if you're doing a test flight uh, for iOS 11, but um, I'm, you know, I, I would I would use it heavily if you want to, if, if you want me to test it. They may say no, be polite, don't demand it, and don't feel like you're entitled to it. But um, I would say that that can certainly make the beta experience better. And I would think that getting good feedback from committed users of a product is helpful to developers as part of the beta process. But you're really in deep now because then you're using beta software on beta software. So you got to be prepared. But I'm excited about it because I've got apps that I use and that I like that are going to be updating in test flight for iOS 11. And that's exciting because I'm not going to have to wait until the day that iOS 11 ships and then the update hits the app store because I want to use it. I want to use that stuff now. I have apps in my test flight that are built for iOS 11. But test flight is not working on my iPad. <laughs> I've heard, yeah. So test yeah. flight didn't work at all in beta one for me. In beta two, it's working on some of my iPads and not on others. And we've had friends who've who've said the same thing that they they can't get uh, the fir- first beta. I just kept tapping the the link and it never would click. Basically, it, I I am trying to log in and it's telling me that test flight is unavailable. Yes, so I have I have three iPads right now running iOS 11, the ni- old 9.7, the 10.5, and the and the 12.9, and uh, two of them have access to test flight, and the other says it's not available. 
If anybody knows how to fix this, please let me know. Please let me know. I really uh, want to use TestFlight. There is like there is one Davis. application in there that I really want to use, and I can't, and it's making me upset. Also, I'm going to run into some problems with some of the apps that I used that, <laughs> that I'm on the betas for anyway, so we'll, we'll see how that yeah. goes. I was 11 kids. It's real. It's real. All right, today's show is also brought to you by FreshBooks. To all of you freelancers listening right now, I want to pose a question to you. What if you could reclaim up to 192 hours of your time a year? Would you do it? Well, our friends at FreshBooks make cloud accounting software for freelancers that's so ridiculously easy to use that they are the architects behind that question. They are the team. They are the people that can give you that time back. Because by simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. When you, For example, when you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks will show you if they've seen it or not. They'll show you every time they look at the invoice. They'll show you if the invoice has been printed. This puts an end to all of those chaser emails that you have to send, all the investigation that you might need to do, because you'll know where that invoice is in the queue of the person that you're sending it to. This is one of my very favorite features of FreshBooks because after a while, you kind of learn the patterns of the company that you work with. And that's another great thing that they show you like the average time that a company takes to pay. That is super useful. So like if you, I mean, let's be real, right? If you put 30 days on an invoice, not everyone's going to pay you in 30 days. Some people might pay you in 35 days. And instead of just like when the 30 day time hits sending those emails, Wait until the 36th day if that if that company pays you after 35 days. And FreshBooks shows you all of this information. They give you all of these averages. It's really, really awesome. FreshBooks now have over 10 million users, as I mentioned, but they've managed to stay a pretty small company. And this got them the title of Small Giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year. Small Giant is a, is a great term. I would like to be called a small giant. If you're listening to this show and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the try- time to try out and use it for yourself because FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com upgrade and enter upgrade in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com upgrade upgrade and you can sign up for a 30-day free trial thank you so much for FreshBooks for their support of this show small giant mike that's me that is me so uh <laughs> the mac os high sierra public beta i Hi, don't sierra. i don't thank you i don't know if there's as much to say uh <laughs> with this one i have you I'm sure you've probably played with the High Sierra beta a little bit. Hi. Do you yep. have any? What is here, Jason? What <laughs> What is here for people? Um. Well, it's there's stuff. Um, photos. I wrote a whole thing about yep. photos. But we're going to get into the... photos in a minute, right? We're, we're pulling photos out of this initial discussion. Uh, I'm letting you get away with it that easy because we have a whole discussion about the new photos. But I want to know. <laughs> Apple file system, which Ooh. I haven't tried yet, uh-huh. but uh, people are excited about. So when you sign up for High Sierra, uh, does the does APFS begin immediately, like with iOS 10.3? Like, does it just move you over, or do you, does it like say, hey, do you want to do this? No, I think you have the option to right. upgrade a, a drive. I feel like that's better for the Mac. Because you, you can boot different storage devices on Macs, right? It's not like iOS. 
And so you could be in a situation where you convert that and then you mm-hmm. boot into another OS, an earlier OS, and it doesn't like see the drive. It's like, I don't even know what that is. And that's bad because then only, you, your data is only visible from versions that can see APFS. So, but I haven't, I haven't tried it out. Um, and, you know, they've talked about the, it a lot on uh, Accidental Tech Podcasts. So I'd refer people there. Um, I, I think there's some stuff that's existing now that's exciting, like quick copies. Like if you duplicate a file, it just basically marks it as a duplicate. It's instant. Um, it treats it, does the right thing. If you edit it later, it'll write that new edit out to disk while keeping the original in its place. Um, it's all it's all good. Uh, Time Machine in the long run will be better, but not in the short run <laughs> using this technology. Um, I'm interested in how it works on Fusion Drives because it sounds like since it was built with the Fusion Drive in mind that Fusion Drives will be better. That, you know, Apple has said that it's uh, it's going to place data on the flash and hard drives on a per file basis um, using hints on optimal file location for different apps for increased performance. So it sounds like they're trying, APFS is is trying to do the right thing and be very optimized for um, Fusion Drive. Also, it's, an, it's a file system built with the idea for SSDs. So I'm intrigued by that as somebody who's got a computer that has an SSD on it, that, that this might be a much better... Um, a much better experience in terms of my disks than mm-hmm. the file system that was built for spinning disks. But again, this is esoteric stuff. It's going to be like, this is step one of a long process where this is coming in and then uh, changes will start to happen that will make it, um, you know, that will make it more relevant as time goes on. Um what else is in here? All the HEVC stuff, the uh, high efficiency video coding um, that is in iOS 11 is in here too. So support for those higher quality, more compressed videos, H.265, is in uh, is in High Sierra too. So you want to have that compatibility thing. I mean, it's still going to be incompatible. This stuff is going to be, until it, unless it's converted, it's going to be incompatible with older operating systems, but it will be um the two most recent apple operating systems will have compatibility for those files what else um metal 2 but again mm-hmm. it's a developer feature so the idea there is that you should be able to see apps take advantage of a uh a better and more efficient graphics pipeline that includes you know their vr support that they've got the hdc vive for uh, headsets, it remains to be seen if they're going to be like if we're actually going to see HTC Vives attached to um, Macs playing VR games. If that's going to be a thing that happens or not, with uh, and which Macs would that be? Is it just the new iMacs? Is it other models? We don't really know. Um, Safari update stuff is in there, although that'll come to older. Uh, older operating systems because i think they update safari a couple of versions back when they do it um, including webrtc which we talked about that will mean that a lot of these web podcast tools will start to work on safari at some point probably uh, there's some work that the developers need to do to support it but uh, it should be supportable so so tell me what's going on with the photos then 
You don't want to hear about uh, how about the improved full screen mode in Mail? No, not really, Jason. <laughs> the uh, or a Safari Reader on a per uh, on a per uh, per domain basis. That's actually kind of nice. Sure. I get all these complaints when I link to stories that I write on sites that have autoplay video, and it's like, well, now you just market this. Always turn on Safari Reader. Well, also, autoplay video is being killed in Safari. Yeah, right? well, that's that's true too. That's the that's the uh, that's the story. Although I haven't seen that work, but that's the idea: is that you can just turn off autoplay of everything, which is uh, that's pretty cool. So yeah, um, the big one I would say is is photos. There's there's a lot of changes in photos, which is I wrote a book about it, so I I care about that. There's new editing views. There's some new editing tools. Um, they finally have committed to the sidebar for the UI for it, which previously you could like have it as tabs or as a sidebar. Felt like there was a little war going on there, where some people were like, "No tabs," and other people were like, "Come on, sidebar!" And they're like, "Oh no, sidebar is like iPhoto. It's old and boring. We don't want that." And the sidebar people won, so the sidebar is just there all the time which is fine and they've got you know your photos organized into different media types so like you can quickly jump to all the live photos and all the screenshots and that's in this albums area along with your own albums that you make and then there's like a library view where there's um all your imports you can actually see now like uh, when did i import that file it was back here and you can find it that way it's got a a persistent import history view of your library which is kind of interesting um and they uh, they they improved memories and and people. The people got better. <laughs> the people are better. Yeah, your friends are, are going to be better now. The people people stuff is uh, the interface is a little nicer, but they've actually improved the face recognition engine. Um, they actually look at context of what people are in what photos. The example that I gave, I think, in my story about this is if you've got two people that you have photos of who never appear together, and it finds a photo of people it it thinks it's those two people it's going to be more skeptical of that because they're never supposed to be together or if you've got photos of two people who are commonly together and it's got i know this person is in this photo and this might be that person it's going to be more um aggressive about saying no that's that person because they understand it understands the context of uh, when people are together or not and uses that as a hint um so that's That's really that's kind of interesting and then and then and then when you say this is this person, um, that metadata gets synced in the cloud. So the your other devices can use that as part of the hinting when they're doing their facial processing of your photos, which is not the same as syncing all your metadata. I wrote, I wrote the story and I had a bunch of people say, wait a second, I thought that it synced all the metadata. And it's like, well, yeah, we thought that too when it got announced on stage, but it turns out that that's not the case and that it scans everything. Blah, blah. But on every device, I don't know... Um, and but this is a bit of metadata that does get synced which is if you said this photo contains this person that rides along with that photo and that the other the other devices can look at that and say oh that's that person and that helps keep your faces in sync across and that's that's good because that's the one place where there's human interaction with training that's probably why they did it is like this is the one place where there is uh like you have to do work to train faces. You don't do work to say, this is a cow, this is a cow, this is a cat, this is a dog, this This is is also a cow. This is a mountain. Right? Mm -hmm. This is a mountain, this is a horse, this is a lake. Uh, With people, though, you have to do that. This is is Julian, this is Lauren, this is Jamie, this is Mike, this is Steven, right? You have to to do that. And uh, it's really annoying if you have to do that on every device that you own. So 
they 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 put that in. They synced that. So at least that part is better. Um, and then on the memory side, it's more of this machine learning stuff where it's like memories are these auto-generated albums. It's actually very clever that they introduced last time. And they've created more context now. Basically, it's looking for things it recognizes and building albums based on those. And those are memories. And now there are more of those things it's looking for. So like pets is an example where it'll see animals and maybe like even like at your house and it'll say, oh, here's a here's a gallery of, of pets photos or like recognizing food and saying oh these are there's a gallery of your your meal photos um so it, there's there's like a half dozen new things it's trying to mine out of your photo metadata and float up so that you can see them which is um it's interesting because this is what they're trying to do is they're trying to take your library of tens of thousands of photos and use some intelligence based on those scans that it's done and the objects it's recognized do a second level, which is now that I know what's in all these photos and when they were taken and where they were taken, can I make albums based on that? And so it's trying to get better there. What do you think? Is, is there anything else other than the uh, machine learning data, which isn't synced, which should be, which we all thought was going to be, but turns out it isn't. Is there anything else um, from that that in that sort of vein that you would like to see added? Are there any other big missing features for you? I don't know. I think some of it is just that it all needs to get better, and that right. that's like the 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 memories thing is a good example of that, where they just need to keep pushing on that because the ultimate goal is that you should not not only should you not have to tag your family in every photo you should not have to make albums right like you take a trip you take a road trip for the summer it should figure that out right it should be like oh you know these this if i look at this time stream i can see you moving uh, you know, in this direction and then coming home again and being in all these places you aren't usually. And it's these people and, and like I can make a photo highlight of your vacation with all the different locations included, right? It, all of it's there. It just needs to be intelligent enough to be able to do that. And for a birthday party and for a trip to the beach, like whatever, it should be able to do all that stuff. So the more that Apple can push that, the better, because not only is Google giving them a lot of competition there, but I think that's one of the great advantages of having this stuff. It's like, I don't just want a repository for my photos anymore. I do want it to start doing my organization for me because I'm not going to take the time. I'm not going to build a lot of albums. I might build some, but if it can float up, something and say, hey, here's here's all of your trips to Seattle in this little gallery. It's like, wow, that's really great. You know, I just took a trip to Seattle and that I've taken trips there before. And now you've put this whole thing together with some of the same people across 10 years, 15 years. That's really great, right? More, more like that and better recognition, better metadata fits into that better realization like they've added of the relationship between different people where these people appear in photos together and these people don't. So these are work people and these are home you know, family people and that, the, the, you know, these are these kind of family people and these kind, the more that all of these photos things do with that, the better. Also, I will say, uh, um, we get a calendar every year that's based on the previous year. So like January will be pictures from January and February will be pictures from February. And, um, one thing that they haven't done that frustrates me a little that I'd like them to do is like, if I order a calendar from Apple, it should like figure out what I might want in the calendar, like before i start working on it that would be great it's like we've already done it we've already you know we've already picked mm. the best photos from this year and put it on a calendar for you that would be great but on the account that they are still the ones making these things it is interesting that they've not applied the machine learning to making the products yeah google do that now right 
that was one thing that Google Photos now does. Yeah, third-party apps um, actually can hook into Photos now for the first time. So, like, Shutterfly can build an app that basically lives inside of Photos and lets you build mm. and order stuff through Shutterfly. So, they've opened that to third parties. It's no longer just sort of via Apple. And these are going to be, like, Mac App Store apps, right? Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a special section in the Mac App Store that is going to be for apps that have this feature and you download oh. them in the Mac app store and then they basically get in, inserted into um, photos and then you can use them within photos to build these things. And that, that actually passes through some memories data, which is interesting, but I don't think that um, Apple is using it. Turns out there is something happening with the Mac app store. A, a, li- a very little bit. A very little bit. I should say, two years after introducing live photos, they actually put live photo editing into photos, which is nice. You can um, you can set the crop, you can set the animation effect if you want it to bounce or just be a standard animation. Mm-hmm. They've got this wild like um, uh, it's a uh, it's a long duration exposure thing where I had these live photos at a waterfall and I flipped it into long duration exposure mode and it turns into this kind of like beautiful like long exposure of the waterfall, but it was built out of a live photo. Which is pretty cool, um, and you can choose the the representative image, the picture frame image, basically from your live photo. I think that's going to be better over time because I suspect um, newer iPhones running iOS seven are going to get better, or iOS eleven are going to get better at um, at what they capture with the, the 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 live photo will be higher quality, I think, over time, and so that's good because that allows you to pick a fairly high quality. Um, representative image so like when you look at that live photo you you missed it by a half a second but you can actually like tick it over and have that be the image that displays in your library which is uh kind of neat i'm excited about the live photo changes we're gonna get to this in a minute actually i won't i won't spill the beans we've got an ask upgrade just about this too so we'll great get to that speaking of which should we move on to ask upgrade sounds good Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over in Capsula, the multi-function content delivery network that boosts the performance of your website, protects it from denial of service attacks, and secures it from bad guys whilst ensuring high availability. All you have to do is make a small change to your DNS to activate Encapsula. You don't need to install any hardware or software. It is ready to go when you are. And once you've made that little change, you will have access to Encapsula's global network of 30 data centers with 3 terabits of bandwidth. That's a lot of bandwidth. And what they do with this is stop attacks from hitting your servers. They use this incredible network, this vast network that they have, all the bandwidth that they have, to make sure that all of your content is cached and optimized and that all of the connections to your to the CDN with your users is working fine. So if anything bad is happening to your website, if there's any attacks going on, if there's any bad guys trying to hit you, your visitors will not even know that anything is happening. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. Just go to encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. You'll find out more here and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. So let's do this uh, this question that we have here from Chris, where Chris is asking us about photos. And uh, Chris wants to know if we still use bursts at all. Um, but he he. Chris says that he used to use Burst Photos all the time when they came out, but then when Live Photos came along, he stopped using Bursts. What do you do, Jason? Do you still use Bursts and have Live Photos maybe kind of taken a lot of that away from you or what? 
I I only ever used bursts in very specific circumstances where I felt like it, like it was something happening so fast that I just wanted to just grab all the photos and deal with it later um, and pick the ones that I liked. But I never use them very often. I generally leave live photo turned on <laughs> because it's kind of fun. And so you end up with these things that you never really thought about being good live photos that are good live photos. But it's still kind of a curiosity for me. I'm not using the live photos as much as I uh, as much as I maybe hoped. But it is basically for me the live photo is this really cool thing where you find a photo that you like and realize that if you tap and hold on it or 3D touch on it, that it plays a little tidbit of the surrounding action. And sometimes that's really great. Like I had a picture of my dog at the dog park, and when I opened up the live photo it shows her like spinning around or running around. And that was, that was cool. Like I get the extra time there. It's uh, it's fun, um, which is why I leave it on, but that's kind of about it. I think that we're, I think we'll get to the point where the live photo stuff is more valuable because they will up the quality of the live photo content to the point where it's approaching the quality of the still. And that's really great because the closer you get to that, then you get to the ability of picking your moment. And then it's like a burst where I, I don't know whether it's doing this now, but you know, theoretically, when you're doing a live photo, you could take not just the one full quality photo in the middle, but you could bracket it. You could have a full quality photo every 10th of a second, 20th of a second, uh, half of a second, whatever. Um, and that would allow you after the fact, like every photo is a burst and a video, basically. And that's great because then you could go back and say, oh, I just missed the moment and then slide it back a little and be like, no, actually, I got it because it ha- the moment was slightly earlier. I know that, that there's file size issues and all of that, but that's one of the reasons Apple is doing this higher quality um, video and photo formats is, I think, to give them the, the ability to, um, to capture more data when you capture a photo. Because by all rights, when you capture a photo, if you had enough space and the technology allowed it, I would want it to capture lots of data around the photo because I might not have pressed the button at the right time. But if it captures slightly earlier than that and slightly later, if I miss the moment by half a second, if it's always capturing and buffering that you know a, a second before or three seconds before, then I'm going to get the shot after all. That's pretty great. Like that that uh that should we need more of that and i feel like live photos is 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 taking us in that direction i'm a huge live photos fan um i love it i don't really use bursts very much anymore um i really enjoy live photos i leave them on all the time there was a time recently where i realized i had them off for a while by accident when i was really sad about that because <laughs> The live photo is just gone, right? If it's not taking it, but I love, right? I love when I'm flicking through my library and the the photos are moving a little bit. I love that. I mean, I I really do like the fun that they add, and I'm really excited about some of the changes. Like I have some live photos which are terrible photos, but the live photo is awesome, but the image is bad. So I love that you can now change the image, the representative image, yeah. so you'll know what the live photo is. And then also some of the loop stuff, like I've been playing with that a little bit, the way that it's looping and, and all that like little fun effects you can do now, they are really good. And you can sometimes get some really funny stuff happening with them. So I'm very excited to see the more that's going to happen here. And I'm looking forward to just playing around with live photos more with these new effects. I'm really excited about it. It's one of my favorite things about iOS, honestly. Like, I I really love live photos. Brian is looking for a decent iPad Pro 10.5 sleeve, ideally that can hold the smart cover, keyboard, and pencil. Any suggestions? 
Uh, I think there's only one suggestion, which is the one that Apple makes, the leather sleeve. I haven't seen anything else. I don't know if you have, Jason, but this no, fits the bill perfectly. Apple made it. It's perfect with the keyboard on it, right? Like it all fits in there. Um, and it's got a nice little slot for the pencil. This is on my like someday list. Like I, I like the look of this. I just don't have a reason to buy it right now. But like I might put this on like my holiday list. You know, like if somebody wants to get me a nice gift for the holidays, like this could be something for that, right? Like I, I, re- I just like the way it looks. And when I'm traveling and stuff, it might be nice to just put it all in. And you know, if I'm working out, then I've got this nice little lever thing to put down. I can put my notepad on it or whatever. I, I really love the way this this case looks. I think it's a nice accessory. But um, I just haven't got a reason right now to to pick one up. But I think. I think if you want a sleeve, like this is right now the one to get. I assume. I, I that's all I know. That's all I know too. Mm-hmm. So that's it's it's not cheap, but oh. it's very it's very nice. It's very well done, and there will be more iPad ten point five accessories as time goes on. If you can wait and you want to wait to see if there's something else out there, I'm sure they will arrive at some point. Oh, by the way, just something on photos that I forgot to mention. Um, the Photos app on iOS now shows animated GIFs. There is like also like in, there is a, yep. a auto created folder in the Photos app. It's called Animated, and when you open mm-hmm. a GIF now, when you open it up, it starts to animate. Finally, yes. So I'm excited. Congratulations! You get your animated GIFs at last. Oh, I noticed what you did there. We won't talk mm-hmm. about that today. Uh, Dave wants to know if either of us use Apple's two-factor authentication. Um, I will include a link in the show notes to Dan Moran's excellent article on Six Colors uh, last year where he went into this in detail um, and helped me set it up. I do use Apple's two-factor authentication, uh, and it works great. Me too. I'm, I'm happy with it. Yep. Like, it does exactly what I need. Yeah, I like it a lot, the way they do it, where you log in and it pops up the little thing on all your devices and mm-hmm. you just need one of your devices to get the code and you put it in. And it's uh, I've got two-factor on lots of stuff now, but I am using it. I have heard that um, in iOS 11 and macOS High Sierra that the Hi. you don't have to do the two-step that Dan describes, that there's a more direct way to upgrade from one to the other from the old two-factor to the new two-step because there was a, or two-step to two-factor, whatever. There was an old one and there's a new one and it used to be very complicated, but it's about to be less complicated. But I think people should do it. Like, I know it's a a pain because every time you log in on a new device, it's going to ask you to put in a six-digit code, but um, it means that if somebody doesn't have one of your devices, they can't get into your account, which means that if somebody random somewhere on the internet is trying to break into your account, they can't do it unless they also have one of your devices, which is going to be less likely. Yeah, I uh, the only thing that frustrates me with the two-factor is the app-specific passwords, where like apps that use my iCloud information, I have to go to the Apple website and create a specific password for them every single time. It's just like an, an, an it, like it's just a yeah. frustration. It's just it's not you know I only ever have to really do it one time. But like when I'm setting up a new device, I have to generate all these different passwords, and you literally have to use a different password for every instance of an application on all of your machines. And it's just it's just a frustration. I wish there was an easier way to set it up. I wish there was like an iOS app that could do this that Apple made um, instead of having to go to the Apple 
account page every time and setting it up in this weird way and then it's not easy to like get a list of the previous password it's just a frustration like they you name them but you can't see the oh no it's weird I, I don't like it i would i would like something different um, or like a, just a, a more robust way of setting it up lucas asked with ar kit and increased access to the pluses sensor data in ios 11 with the depth api what do you think the likelihood is of dual cameras on all of the iphone line coming in september what do you think jason I I think I think what you think, which is that if the scenario where there's a 7S and an 8 both released, which is unclear, but that's the rumor, I, I would imagine that the 8 would have, um, would have dual camera. The high end, sort of in between the size of the 7 and the and the 7 Plus, mm-hmm. if that phone exists, I I have a hard time thinking that they wouldn't put the best stuff in it, including the depth effect stuff from the two cameras. So that's going to be, you know, that that's my guess. If they also do a 7S and 7S Plus, I think it would not be as likely in the 7S that they would just sort of, that's a, you know, no, don't change it too much kind of update that they're doing in the background while they're also releasing an iPhone 8. If that's the case, I think that the smaller phone wouldn't get it. But the newfangled awesome phone would probably pick up the second camera because why would you not? I mean, you want that to be like the mm-hmm. phone that has everything, the yes. best of everything in it. So it would mean two cameras for sure. Because it's going to cost like a million dollars. But yeah. that's the, what they should be doing, right? This this iPhone, whatever it's going to be, is is like the the next generation, right? I think uh, that's how I see it as being like set up is like whatever this iPhone is, it is like the past 10 years of iPhones look this way and then this is the future of the iPhone. That's how I think they're going to they're going to talk about that this iPhone 8 or iPhone Pro whatever it's going to be. And I think that it will have all of the features, right, that the previous iPhones have had plus these new ones. So I can't see them being like Oh, it still has one camera. If you want two cameras, you have to get 7S Plus. Like, I just don't think that's going to happen. And then in 2018, they'll all have two cameras, right? Like, all of the phones that, that Apple released will have two cameras on. That's what I, thought, I think it will happen. But we're still going to be in this in-between uh, in 2017. And finally today, uh, Bozy asked, is it stupid to get a high-end Retina 5K <laughs> iMac for future-proofing? I'm mostly concerned about the hundreds of tabs that I keep open. So my feeling on this is, it depends how far into the future you're expecting to keep this machine. Like, if this is going to be your computer for the next five years, ten years, I think future-proofing is a great reason. Like, if you're buying a computer now, and you're wondering if you should spend a little bit extra to get some some more beefy specs because you're looking to keep this machine around for a while. I think that's a good part of the purchasing process, honestly, because you do want to future-proof yourself. Like, if if you're planning to buy this computer and keep it around for, say, five years, you want to make sure that in five years it's still going to be running well. Look at John Syracuse. (laughs) Yeah, he's going for the... He's shooting the moon, going Uh for 10 years. But do you agree with this? I, I Yeah, I think... If it's within your means, I think the best way to uh, buy a Mac is probably to spend a little money on higher-end models because they'll last longer and then run them into the ground. But everybody's different. I know people who buy uh, you know, a stock model, run it for a couple of years, sell it, and get a new model. And that's what they do. Um, but this is, I, w- I will say, 
this is kind of how I use cars <laughs> is um, I will oftentimes buy a new car and then just drive it for a very, very long time until it is old. And that not everybody wants to do that. But there is something to be said for that, that you can buy a high-end model. And I would say technology right now, like it used to be like the difference between the computer now and two years ago was dramatic. But these days, it's not so dramatic. It's not so dramatic. And that's how John Syracuse has been able to run a Mac Pro for almost 10 years. Um, the changes are not as dramatic as they used to be. So I think a higher-end Retina iMac that is going to last you for many years is probably a good thing if you have the means, if you can afford to buy it at that high price, because it is a high price. That was my rationale when I bought my uh, 5K iMac, was I wanted to... Um, I wanted it to last and I wanted the I wanted the fastest one because I knew that over time, you know, it becomes less impressive and less fast. And the fact is that although I don't have the fancy screen that that the new iMacs have, that processor, that i7 processor I have in my iMac still pretty fast, still pretty darn good. I'm not worried about its uh its performance. So it's not stupid, but it depends on what your priorities are. I did this when I bought my iMac and this iMac would last me with my current tasks years more because I went to, I went for the top of the line. My only thing is like the VR. Like I, I <laughs> if VR games well, come to the Mac, then I might have to ask some questions about what I want to do. But if you, under the, the current things that I'm doing, like it, I bought the best so it would last the longest. Also, hundreds of tabs, I'll just point out, what you need to do is max out your RAM. Like, that's what you need to do if you've got hundreds of tabs open. More than anything else, more than processor, disk, or anything, it's RAM. Max out your RAM. And you can do that through third third parties. You don't actually need to um, max it out at Apple if you buy the 27 because it's got the door on mm-hmm. the back for RAM. And you can have it to be the minimum amount of RAM sold on that model and then buy the max from a third party and install it. You can do that. But if you've got lots of tabs, you want as much RAM as possible. On that note, we'll wrap up today. Thank you so much to our sponsors for this week's show, Casper FreshBooks and Encapsula. If you want to grab our show notes, they're at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 148. I will mention at this point, if you haven't yet checked out Jason Snell's new show on Relay FM, Download, just reached episode 10 last week. Go check it out. It's a great show. I think that you'll enjoy it. There's a lot of people on there that you may have heard of and a lot of people that you may have not, and you're going to be introduced some new awesome voices so go check out download that's at relay.fm slash download because you upgrade at the start of your week and you download at the end of it isn't that right jason that's right Mm -hmm. you know it you know it uh if you want to find jason's work online he's over at sixcolors.com and he's at jsnell on twitter j-s-n-e-l-l i am at imike i-m-y-k-e i want to thank you all for listening as always and we'll be back next time enjoy your independence day over there Americans, I hope that you have lots of hot dogs and fireworks. Um, until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Pew, pew, pew. Fireworks. Pew. That, wait, hang on. That sounds like lasers. How do we do fireworks? They're similar. Like, maybe. There we go. Perfect. Fireworks. Nailed it. Pew, pew, pew. Hot dogs. <laughs>